Cool, man. You good? <clears throat> well, good. All right, let's uh, let's fire this up. Straight to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome to Permit to Think. Meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. I am your host, Mike Dawes. As a professional fisherman and host, I've spent the last 25 years traveling the far and near reaches of the world. In the beginning, the goal was untouched adventures in wild fish. But I have come to realize that the people I've met along the way and their stories have played a pivotal role in seeking what I'm truly after, a quiet mind and some time to think. This ride is too short, so I'm going to start exploring the narratives of the people that have brought me here. I have been told that audio has no rules, so it seems like a good platform for someone who grew up breaking them all. Let's go. Our guest today is Jeff Courier. Jeff has fished in over 60 countries and has landed over 430 species on a fly rod. Actually, I think I need to say that again so it resonates with people. 60 countries and 430 species on a fly rod. Absolutely unbelievable. Jeff was born in Massachusetts and grew up fly fishing throughout New England. After graduating from high school, his search for new fly fishing adventures led him to Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. After four years of fly fishing for walleye, northern pike, and muskies, he graduated with a naturalist degree. After graduation, he headed for Wyoming for a summer of trout bumming. This led to 20 three years of living in Jackson in a management job in a fly shop that would guide him to fishing around the world. Jeff's articles, photographs, and artwork have graced the pages of magazines, catalogs, and brochures, and books. Jeff is the acclaimed author of Courier's Quick and Easy Guide to Saltwater Fly Fishing, and Courier's Quick and Easy Guide to Warm Water Fly Fishing. He is a well-sought-after expert for television and commentary on radio, appearing on Fishing the West, Fly Fishing the World, In Search of Fly Water, Real Adventures, Fly Fish TV, Fly Fish America, and more. He has also been featured as an angler in popular fly fishing movies, Connect, Waypoints, Soulfish 2, Carpland, Evolution, Ken Jam, and Atlanticus. One of Jeff's most recognized accomplishments was leading Team USA to its first ever top 10 finish in the World Fly Fishing Championships in Jaca, Spain. During the competition, Jeff managed to full fish on every venue and place third in the individual standings becoming the first American ever to take home a medal in the 30-year history of the championships. When the fly fishing show season kicks off, Jeff can be found with crowds of, crowds of people watching and listening and actively participating in his presentations. Jeff's programs entertain, inform, and instruct 
through his stories and beautiful photography. Jeff is an active member of R.L. Winston, Sims Fishing Products, Scientific Anglers, Bauer Reels, Yeti, Costa Sunglasses, Kate, Kate's Real Foods, Fly Fishers International, and Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures, as well as a fly fishing lecturer and a well-known artist. I have been fortunate to know Jeff for over 20 years, and we have been able to do some amazing trips together. The Amazon, Bhutan, to name a few, let alone all around the Rocky Mountain West. We were featured in the film Carpland together, which was another adventure in itself locally. Jeff's sense of humor and authenticity follows him wherever he goes. He has a unique ability to be at ease in all situations, even when being smuggled in and out of India. Today, Jeff resides in Hayward, Wisconsin, with his wife Yvonne, also known as Granny, where he bases his globetrotting career in fly fishing. Without further ado, please welcome my good friend Jeff Courier to the show. What's up, Courier? Not much, Dawes. It's good to be here. Glad, wow. Glad we're finally being able to get this done. I know, man. It's, uh, you know, we tried a couple times, but I know you're new. Uh, you've been on quite the whirlwind. Oh, the last two years, man. It's just been... <laughs> It's been an absolute junk show. Uh, I can't even believe it happened. I mean, if you asked me three years ago if I if I would ever leave Victor, I probably would look to you eye and say, "Why? I'm not yeah. leaving leaving this place." And then the COVID thing happened, and uh, you just I took a deeper look at life. You know, when I was grounded, and uh, I don't know. You know, I have a little background in in northern Wisconsin. That's where I studied. That's where I went to college. The fishing was great, and there's always been a little yearning to go back there and uh, maybe wrap things up. And yeah. I thought maybe when I was 65 or 70, that that would happen. But, you know, a couple of days, Granny was coming home from work uh, from Jackson over Teton Pass. And she got off at five and didn't get home till seven. Yeah, well, that'll do it, right? Yeah. I and, mean, you know, so we were looking for alternatives for her work and stuff. And then we just, during the COVID, we're just like, you know, we should pack it up and moved to Wisconsin. We can always come back here. We get lots of friends. Yeah. Uh, but it was just talk. It was cocktails on the back porch. Yeah. And then uh, my neighbor sold his house for, you know, a good piece of money. Um, and it was somebody that knocked on his door and asked if it was for sale. And I said, that could happen to us. We need to decide what we're going to do when it does or if it does. And, uh, and it you know, did. It did. Yeah. It did. We packed it up. It happened so fast. You know, we moved out of our house in uh, October of last year. And, um, without a place to live and bought a van and lived out of it all last winter. I did all my shows, all my lectures and stuff from the van. The entire time we were looking at the internet shopping, you know, trying to find a house in Northern Wisconsin. And we thought we'd be in Bayfield or Ashland, which is right on Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. There was nothing available. Um, we ended up in Hayward and kind of a fixer upper house. And, uh, turns out we love it. I think how, it's the how best many place. people are in Hayward? There's the, the sign says 2300. Oh, wow. But it's a tourist town. So, you know, it's nothing like Jackson. But um, a little bit like Victor? Yeah, maybe a little like Victor. It's um, it's a little bigger. Like, it looks like there should be more than 2,300 people there. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come into town, there's a lot going on, a lot of business, a big, you know, f you know, strip through the town. But um, 
No, we, you know, we moved in May 9th into, into our house and, uh, this has been the best summer I've had in 20 years. Wow. That is so cool. It's so invigorating because, you know, I got so much fishing Yeah, uh, and every day is new. In fact, I said to granny when we were moving there, I said, you know, one of the things I think the problem in Idaho and Wyoming was we were here 34 years, by the way, is that yeah, I always knew what was going to happen. Like yeah. if I go to the South Fork, I look up, I see the weather. I know that the PMDs are coming off at, you know, nine o'clock and then we're going to fish hoppers in the afternoon. I should do a little streamer. Yeah, basically, I knew how many fish I was going to catch. Yeah. And uh, that gets kind of boring. Now I'm back in new challenges every day. And I said I wasn't going to fish the same water this summer more than once a week. I've only fished the same water three times this entire summer. And I've, wow. I've got 60 days on me this year. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> Don't, do you, would you, would you attribute that to, I mean, I I read something in the Drake that time Tom by wrote and I like dog-eared it right away. I think it was in like an introduction in the last couple issues, but he, he said something about the levels of fishing and would you, would you say that it also equates to the fact that, you know, you are at this level now. I mean, I, you know, you read read through your bio. I mean, I had to take stuff out of your bio. I wish you did. My God, I, th- <laughs> I thought the thing was over when you were done. Well, first of all, that has to be amazing <laughs> to reflect upon. But but also, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you, you get to a certain level and I, you know, I can relate in some aspects. You, you have more experience, but where the exploration starts to become... It's almost like you're you're going full circle to the beginning again, and you have to find that, and you found that again. Yeah, and it's really hard for people to find. I mean, you look at even a lot of our friends. You and I have been in the industry a long time. We've known a lot of guides. Some of our best friends are guides, but eventually, it seems like after that 15 to 20 year mark right there, um, they stop it. You know, mm-hmm. they have families, they, you know, maybe they finally got bored. Like I just said, they knew exactly what was going to happen every day. And, and, and instead of investigating another avenue of fishing, they're like, you know, Hey, I've been there, done that. I'll still fish with my kids or I'll still fish now and then, but it's no longer a, a way of life for me. Yeah. And uh, for me, I just, every time I, I feel a little stagnant, I do something crazy. Like I find something new which is yeah. what, what has brought me all over the world. And I, you can relate probably better than anybody else I could talk to. A lot of people, even the fish a lot, look at me <laughs> sideways when I'm talking about this. Uh, what it equates to is like, so wait a minute, you really woke up this morning and picked a place to go fishing where you don't think you can catch a fish and that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. That's what I want. I want, uh, you know, it's it's therapy for me to get my ass kicked on the water. And then over the course of, you know, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's, five years or, you know, something like a permit, it could be a lifetime. That's, that's invigorating. Yeah. And it doesn't, the, the interesting thing is when you get to those spots, it never adjusts the level of hope that you still have in that day. You drive up, you see the water, you get through the bullshit of rigging up and then you're finally like, all right. And then at that moment, I mean, yeah, it might be, you might get blown away by how good it is. And you also just might get your ass handed to you. And, but then the next time you do it, same thing happens again. Yeah, it's Flip very, flops. it's very interesting. Yeah, that's what the Wisconsin thing is for me. I think it's like, wow, I got a whole new. If you look at my my town, Hayward, Wisconsin, and count, start counting the lakes around where I'm at. Uh huh. 
you have to give up before you get 10 miles out of the, the circle because there's too many lakes. Really? It's incredible. And then we have, you know, some beautiful rivers, a lot of very uh, underrated, unknown trout fishing rivers as well. Most of them are tributaries to Lake Superior, but it's it's awesome. That's That's amazing. Well, I look forward to visiting someday. Yeah, I look forward to having you. It would be, uh, I don't know, there's there's something, it's almost like you've always been a little bit ahead of me. <laughs> and, well, I'm older. <laughs> and I don't know, there's, there's something that I, um, you know, when I've heard, you know, like Courier went to Wisconsin, like, a, you know, a question mark. And I'm like, yeah, how cool is that? And they kind of give me a puzzled look, but I, I'm kind of like, oh, no, I, I get exactly what he's doing. Yep. You know, and on that that same note, I, I do have to wonder, though, you know, things that you and I can relate to that that that's why I always look forward to catching up with you, because it's almost like we've been doing these podcasts once a year, whether it be at the Naughty Pine or oh, yeah. or at, you know, grabbing lunch or something where it's been, you know, where have you been? Where have you been? What have you seen? Um, but I do. It does make me wonder if if you're. I mean, very few people have traveled as much as you have. So, you know, when you start to travel like that and then you get to see so many new places, if that doesn't kind of get in your DNA and then you, right, you bring that home with you. And now, just like you explained, you've got it. I mean, do you attribute some of that to? Oh, 100%. And uh, I guess the what's different now um, is just I'm older and I'd hopefully a little bit wiser, but I realized that, you know, I can actually, you know, what I used to get in my twenties and thirties by going all the way to India or to, to Bhutan with you or, you know, the Amazon. Um, I thought I had to go that far to find something new and invigorating and incredible. And now I'm getting older. I don't sometimes don't want to go that far. Not mm. as often. I still want to go that far, but sure. I was, I was insane. I was, yeah, you, know, you were, you were, what's next? What's yeah, next? I think in 2016, I, I, left the country 18 times. That's just, that's a little much, you know, now, um, I'm just as happy to get in my new van and drive 50 miles out of my new town and find this crazy new water, get eaten by mosquitoes and hook a muskie. Yeah. (laughs) And that, that I'm like, whoa, that's friggin' awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, there's something, uh, there's something to be said to that. There's something a little deeper to that. Cause, uh, I always joked with Jen, you know, like, Someday when I, you know, settle the travel down a little bit, I can't wait to check out what's in our backyard because, mm-hmm. you know, there, you, you, you got a head start on that. I mean, you, you kind of scoured the, <laughs> you know, the Tetons and Yellowstone and I, I've done a little bit of that, but, but not to the extent that you have. But, um, so as we used to catch up, you know, um, where, where have you been recently? Um, besides exploring all over the new, the new house. Yeah. My most recent international trip was actually pretty exciting. So, uh, I went over and fished for the world masters competition in Italy. So I think most people are familiar with there. There's a world championships of fly fishing. There's been a men's team for, for many years. And I was very fortunate to be a part of that, um, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And uh, you mentioned the beginning, I, I won that bronze medal in Spain, but then I retired from it, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, cause I wanted to do more adventurous things. You know, I had my four years, it was great fun and, you know, succeeded a little bit. So I could, I felt good about leaving it. And then, you know, 
when I was 51, a few years ago, I got a call and said, Hey, there's, there's actually a master's team now 50 and up. And you have a pretty good history when you're young. You have any interest in being in it? And my first question is always like, yeah, what's it going to cost? Yeah. You know, because I'm really not going to spend my money to go fish European streams because I know it's really expensive. Like, oh, it doesn't cost anything. We have a great sponsor. His name's Jerry Arnold, who is like the sweetest guy you'll ever meet. And I'm like, before you could finish the sentence, I'm in. Yeah. You know, of course, Absolutely. I'm going to start this up again. So we went to Italy and uh, we won the world championships. That's awesome. It's unbelievable. That's the, has to be the f- first time. It is. The first time uh, the U.S. has ever won a gold medal. Now, our master's team is good. In Portugal, five years ago, we won the bronze. Uh, in 2018, the last before the COVID, in South Africa, we won the silver, and we barely missed gold. And we had the, pretty much the same team, almost the same team that we had over there. And we've just had it in our heads, like, we need to... Get a, get, a, get a gold and then retire. Yeah. So we got our gold in Italy. It was an incredible trip. Uh, I was with, you know, yours and my great friend, Pete Erickson. Oh, boy. Couldn't be a better one to do it with because Pete was even with me when I won my medal back in 2003 in Spain. So that's awesome. It was, it was a special trip. And um, Brett Bishops is still. Yep. Brett was our, he was our leader. This he, he was the one that, you know, carried us. You know, everybody fished incredibly well. You have to, to win a gold medal. There's always going to be somebody that that takes it even further, and he was the individual gold medalist. Yeah, that's uh, and so did you guys retire or no? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we it's a great it'll be a great way to go down, but you know, it's so funny. Pete just sent an email. He's like, "Did you see it's in BC next year? It's all lakes. We'll we'll crush it there if we go." I was like, "Cool, just keep me posted." Yeah, so so that's I'm taking that as a no. You'll see what might happens. have been a Tom Brady retirement. Yeah, exactly. Ten minutes worth. And um, and before before that, were you on the road? I mean, before the move. Yeah. So Granny and I were living out of the van all winter. Um, I did my shows, so I did an East Coast circuit. Uh, we picked up the van in Phoenix on January third. I bought it in November, stored it down there. So we took a month and drove all the way back up to New Hampshire, and then we did the East Coast shows. I speak at all the the big fly fishing shows. I think I see a lot of people probably listening out there in my travels, and look forward to seeing everybody again this winter. But then we uh, we did the West Coast, you know, Denver and Arizona and California, and I mixed my one night speaking gigs with that. And then we spent a month in Oregon, visiting friends and just you know fishing. It was it was yeah. a great time, and we came through Victor. Uh, Idaho again on the way back. I still do my tax. I get a great tax man in Driggs. I'll probably see him again this spring. I bet you we use the same. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah, he's worth he's worth me driving from Wisconsin to, to hang out with him. Guy's awesome. But uh, then we went to Wisconsin and uh, to shop for houses. Like you have to be you had to be in the room to get a house anywhere in the country last year. Yeah, we made some offers and never got them. So we showed up. And uh, we found this house and we had like 24 hours to make an offer. The thing smelt like smoke. Lady smoked like 18 packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> it was a mess. And uh, we're like, we got to do something. Let's just get it and fix it up. That's what we're doing. That's cool. So we moved in May 9th. We closed May 9th. We moved in about mid-June. And then, so no international trips besides yeah, well, Italy? God, or? it seems like... Uh, I thought you were going... Um, it's all blended together. Weren't you going to the Seychelles? Oh, God. How could I forget that? Yeah, it was in Providence. When, when was that? <laughs> April. 
How did I forget that? That was the most, it was one of the best trips. I've, yeah, I was in Providence in April and I was in Cosmo in December. Okay. So yeah. I am getting old. I am getting old. <laughs> you just, just forgot the two Indian Ocean <laughs> trips. That's that is, amazing. Yeah, I even visited Nick Bowles in Dubai and had a great time with him there too. But uh, yeah, my Providence trip in April was, uh, it will go down as one of my, definitely a top five saltwater trips of my life. That is amazing. We just hit it. And you know what the amazing thing about that trip, that was a do-over. And That's what I was going to about to ask you. Wasn't there a trip where you <sighs> went all that way and then got stuck in Mahe or? Yep. Got stuck in Mahe. 2019, it was right before the COVID. It was December. We arrived in, uh, I think we arrived in Mahe, maybe November 30th. And uh, we were supposed to fly out the next morning to Prov and you know, I got the message, you know, there's a cyclone down near Prov. It's going to take a couple of days to go through. You should be fine. You're going to miss a couple of days. It was a 10-day trip. Don't want to miss a couple of days, but at least it was a 10-day trip. That son of a bitch just worked its way. It, it got on Providence and stayed there and then came straight up towards Mahi, so we were never able to go. So I had 11 clients, and uh, it sat in Mahi for nine days with 11. Oh, wow. Because um, you couldn't get out of Mahi either. It was a bad cyclone. It was a bad one. Every day. So Courier, what's the story? Are we going to get down there? Oh, 11 boy. people. Yeah. It was really one of the worst experiences I ever had. But um, everybody was a trooper. All but maybe three guys hung in there for for another two and a half years because that's as soon as we could get booked again to do a custom. There's a custom trip to do extension time of 10 days. And uh, man, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I worried about it for like the last six months before we went because I'm like, this could happen again. Yeah. It is the Indian Ocean. It could happen again. There's global warming going on. There's all kinds of crazy weather, but it didn't. And not only that, it was far and above any Seychelles trip or Indian Ocean trip I've ever had. That's awesome. And our usual buddies were there. I had, you know, Timothy Babbage and Wesley. I mean, the whole gang was nice. there. It was, it was insane. That is, I've, I've uh, well, not that bad, but I've been stuck in a site. I've been in the cyclone on the boat there. <laughs> oh, fun, fun, fun. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about that, though, is um, you were you were rewarded for it. I mean, yes, that's and so um, is Kevin still the captain of? Yes, he is. Oh wow, he told me to tell you hi. Actually. Did he? Nice. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's such a cool dude. It's such a good group. I mean, that is, I think it's maybe the best trip out there that there is to do. I mean, it's pricey. I'm lucky I'm hosting and not paying, but. Um, it's so good that before we got back to the States, you know, we got back to, to Mahi, had a huge party, Everybody was so stoked. Everybody caught what they wanted. It, you know, we just got, everybody got really messed up. It was super fun. And everybody just is like, Kerr, book it as soon as you can. I'm going. Repeat. Everybody raised their hand. So I had, before I got back to the States, I told Klug, I said, find us sometimes, you know, from Yellow Dog, find us a, a new date. And I think everybody's in. And everybody was booked before I even got back to Wisconsin. That is awesome. <laughs> of course, we had to wait till 2025 before we can do a custom again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the custom thing is a big deal because you get to hire the Learjet. You have to do it at either the beginning of the season or the end of the season to get those extra days. But uh, yeah, I tacked on. Everybody even was like, if we're going that far, should we do more than just Providence? I'm like, uh, serious? Yeah, sure. <laughs> We got to fly through Farquhar, so we got a week at Farquhar before we go out to Providence. Nice, and that that is what happened to me. Very, and you know, I find that interesting. So, 
same thing, right? Had the tri- a trip booked, you know, as you probably went through multiple dates that didn't go because mm. everything keep, you know, churning with, with the, the vid. And then we went in March and, you know, it just lit up. You guys are right before me. I remember that talking to Brune. Did Brune go with you? Yeah. He did finally go. Okay, yeah. Cool. He, and you know, it, it, Farqua was just so amazing to me personally, because it, when you get the right weather to see it play out as, I mean, you've been there before, obviously, yeah. but to see it play out, I, I've been there several times, but never fished it. And to see it play out as it should, right? This is a diversity fishery. You're going to get a little bit of everything. It's not GT madness, but, and it did, right? I mean, there was permit caught, there was some milkfish caught, there was um, you know, so enough GTs to go, go around. So it was, it was pretty cool that it, it went down that way. Did you guys see, um, get into any of those shoals with the good weather of milkfish on that trip? Oh yeah. Everybody on the trip that wanted to catch a milkfish caught a milkfish, including me. Finally, that was a nemesis fish for me. You hadn't caught one before. I had never caught a milky. Um, oh wow. That had to be a good feeling. Actually, I should tell this story. This is very, very funny. So you know, these people waiting three years to go on this trip. <laughs> and we get on, we get on the plane, we fly to, fly out to Farquhar, we get in the boat, and uh, Babbage and Wesley come roaring up to me. Because we haven't seen each other in a number of years because of COVID now. Last time I saw them was, you know, Tim and, and right there in Victor. And anyway, they've had it wor- they had it worse than, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. They got shut down real bad. Anyway, Tim, after we hug and shake hands, he's like, Curry, tomorrow you got to get your milkfish. So it's going to be the best day you're here and it's just not going to be happening after the way the tides are. I'm like, Tim, I can't like, you know, these people waiting three years to come here and catch a GT. I can't believe, uh, uh, everybody tomorrow, you're just going to have to watch while I catch a milkfish, you know? Yeah, just watch me. So so anyway, at dinner, Tim's like, you got to find a way. So I, I, I say at dinner, I say, does anybody here want to catch a milkfish this week? And a couple guys are like, oh, maybe after I catch, you know, 10 GTs or, you know, whatever. I said, okay, I just had to ask because tomorrow is probably the best opportunity to catch one. And I know that a couple of my friends that are on this trip know that I, that, that was my target fish. I figured they're going to be like, oh, heck, Courier, I'll go with you. And uh, you can get your milkfish out of the way because we got another week to chase GTs and stuff. Well, nobody says a word. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm thinking as I'm eating my meat, and it's not going to happen. Well, I had a couple guys on the trip that I really don't know that well. Mm-hmm. Of course. They're the ones that volunteer, not my buddies, not Sammy or somebody. <laughs> These guys are like, hey, if you really want to catch that, I know, you know, I followed your species thing. If you haven't got a milkfish, we'll go with you and, and then, you know, get your milk and then we'll head to the flats. I'm like, seriously? I mean, I'm uncomfortable with that, guys. Yeah. You know, it's your trip. They're like, no, we'd love to do that. So we go out there. This is unbelievable. <laughs> we go out there the next morning. I was with Wesley. And he goes, Kurt, it shouldn't take long. You know, my guys are getting their stuff together. He goes, they're literally four miles over there. We'll find the school and you get it done in the next two hours. So we get there, school's there. It's going ape shit. You know, I'm just like, okay, this is it. And they have their mouths up and open. And <clears> yeah, everything's thing. looking yeah. good. Everything's looking good. Um, I have, you know, I was using a nine weight and had my little fly on and uh, I'm excited. You know, yeah, so I do a couple roll cats, throw it out there, nothing happens, throw it out there, nothing happens over here. Also, the school behind me, you know, looks like a better opportunity. Wesley's like, switch the other sides. So I do one of those, you know, snappy ass roll casts real quick, mm-hmm. just to get control of my line. And then I'm going to 
flick it the other way. When I do that snappy ass roll cast at like 75 miles an hour, <laughs> my fucking milk, milky fly goes through my bottom lip and out the top lip and shuts my mouth. <laughs> so these two guys that don't even know me, I'm their host, supposed to be the good fisherman. And all of a sudden, I just get blood squirting all of Because of course, my first reaction was like, oh, nobody can see this. And I yeah. yanked on it. Came out of the top lip, but it was in the bottom lip and it was in there good. And I'm literally like pulling my face like four inches out and yanking and it snaps back. More blood goes. I get this turquoise blue Sims shirt on brand new, <laughs> getting covered with blood. And they just all look at me with horror, but nobody had more horror on their face than Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so embarrassing. And then I couldn't get it out. Yeah, and for those listening, we're, we're talking. I mean, I know what hook it is. It's got to be. It's oh, got to be an SL12S. So it's a stout hook. It's unbelievable hook. And of course, I forgot to take the barb off. It was like first cast of the trip. Anyway, uh, Randy, who was one of the guests, and he was with me in Cosmo. It was the first time I ever met him was Cosmo. He's a doctor, mm-hmm. and he goes, uh, Jeff. He's from Texas. He's like, oh, Jeff, do you want me to? You want me to help you? I'm like. Yeah, just get it the hell out of there, Randy, please. He goes, you want to go back to the boat? I'm like, no, get it out now. There's milkfish here. He grabs it, and he doesn't get it in the first time. And, and he's, he did it with he's his, pulling he, you like he a did, fish. He did that with his fingers, and he goes, okay, it's in there good. You sure you don't want to go to the boat? And I'm like, I don't want to. So we, it's funny. He's a funny, funny guy, his mannerisms. He just kind of shrugs his shoulders, reaches down on his side, pulls out his saltwater pliers, and he kind of, gives it a double look and he grabs that hook and he, he, he goes, I'm going to get it. This, and he got it. Blood. I mean, it was such a bloody mess. I, he'd think, okay, now get your milkfish. I made like 10 more casts and I had so much, uh, most people don't have this experience, but I've been, <laughs> I've been bloody, bloody before yeah. for other reasons, cutting something on my body when I'm fishing and you get the blood in your line. You, you're, it's so sticky. You're screwed. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm out of commission. Get up here. Somebody else. So Randy gets up there, makes one cast and gets milkfish. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> I didn't get my milkfish that day. Um, the, then Rich, the other guy there, he got up, he got his, and then they were gone. So I didn't get it that day. But the last day of the trip, the milkfish were back. That's the that's the advantage of having a 10-day trip. We had almost full cycle of tides. Yeah, you can move into the so next. So they came back, and I got one on the last day. So it was just, it was just the last a, day of the trip. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, such a great trip. That is amazing. Everything was perfect. Yeah. And just to have that happen to me was so funny. I mean, it was funny to me then. I think the other guys were horrified. I actually was just laughing at myself. I'm, I can do that. Yeah. I, I love it. But. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, that, that brings up a good question, actually, because I, you know, I often tell people, you know, the, just because you travel, the, the farther you travel doesn't mean that, you no. know, the weather is going to meet you with welcome, you know, open arms, right? What, what would you estimate... Um, Hitting a trip like that, let's just say you're leaving the U.S., right? Whether it's close or far, um, what would you estimate the odds are of hitting a trip that good? I would say like, this as good as we had at one in ten. Okay. But when I tell people that are booking, you know, one of my hosted trips, if they're not experienced, I say, because um, well, they're always going to be like, so it's going to be really good. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It's a year and a half away, dude. What's the weather going to be like? But uh, <laughs> if you do five trips, I tell people, if you do five trips, one is going to be incredible. Maybe not that one in 10 years, yeah. yet, but it's going to be incredible. Three of them are going to be just what they're written down to be. Really, really good trips. But there's also going to be one that's a disaster. Probably weather, uh, something is going to make it a disaster. 
And uh, it's really tough for like first time travelers if their first trip is a disaster. Absolutely. But it can happen. Yeah. It can happen. Absolutely. So that's my formula for it. I tell people, you know, you got you got to be in this to win it. So you're not going to just do, there's not the one trip of a lifetime. You need to do at least three or four to get the full experience. Yeah. I, I often tend to tell people one out of 10 that you're going to really see things light up. Yep. And you know, uh, you know me, I don't, I don't I, it's the truth. So I'm just going to hit him with it. Right. Yeah. Like you're not, I mean, you know, and, and it goes with the question like, well, when's the fishing going to be the best? We're like, well, I don't know. When's, when's the weather the best? I mean, yep. you, you tell me these days. Um, so the milkfish being a new species, how, how did the species thing start for you? Because I don't, I don't think I've ever even asked you that question. Yeah, it just came naturally. It wasn't like I said, I'm going to try and catch so many species. It's just where I grew up, Massachusetts, um, spent my summers in New Hampshire. We had everything. I mean, that's a great place to fish. In fact, my house was seven miles from the ocean. So I had, the rivers got stocked every spring with brook trout, brown trout, and rainbows. Um, then when that faded off, you know, it was bass fishing time, largemouth, smallmouth, you know, crappies, you know, bluegills, pumpkin seeds, you name it. Then there'd always be that occasional trip to the beach or, you know, get access to go out on a boat. You know, the striper fishing was terrible when I was a kid growing up there in the 60s and 70s. But, you know, you could catch bluefish easy and pollock. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so before I even went to college, uh, probably I'd never thought about it, but I had probably caught 25 different species of fish on fly. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to college in Wisconsin because I had never caught a northern pike, a walleye or a muskie. And, uh, <laughs> that's why I went there. I was not college mater material. That's another story, but my dad wanted me to go to college and that was a deal we made. I could go to a place that if I got accepted, that was an issue, <laughs> but I did get accepted there. It's an easy college to get into. <laughs> um, and then I moved West right after I graduated and, uh, had still, you could have asked me how many fish I caught on fly, different species. I wouldn't even have known how to answer the question. But were you, were you, but were you taking notes at that time? It's funny. I have all my calendars from when I was a little kid. Um, I wrote every single day what I caught. No not, way. Not necessarily different, but it'd be fo I looked, I was showing Granny these when we were moving last year. I was finding all this old shit. And I'm like, get in here. You're not going to believe this. And she's like, oh, 1974 calendar. What's the big deal? I'm like, what's a big deal is I was nine years old. And look at this. This is August. She's like, what's all the writing on there? She's like, four pickerel, two smallmouth bass, one large mouth. I'm like, yeah, I was doing this shit when I was a baby. That is awesome. You know, keeping yeah. track of that stuff. But it came to the point where I was, you know, I started saltwater fishing when I ironically moved to Wyoming and Idaho and start saltwater fly fishing more than ever. But uh, people started asking me, so how many fish, do you, God, you've caught a lot of different species, how many? And uh, I started, started to finally jot it down on note paper over the years. And, you know, I, th I thought I would have it done, you know, I have, you know, maybe I got 80 species here and then I start looking at pictures and I'm like, oh shit, I don't think that's on my list, you know, and then it became something. Yeah. You know? it so got, so it, it morphed tracks. into something. Yeah. Morphed into something. So the last, you know, 15 years, it's been something. In the last 10 years, it's been, I'd say even five years now, I'm actually like seeking out these very, very odd fish. Um, what, what's, what's one of the odd ones recently? Um... Oh, an odd one that I caught recently. I uh, added two new species of triggerfish on that Providence trip. One is the simple, it's the black triggerfish. 
And the other one, what the hell is it? I'd have to look at my uh, my the, blog. There's a blue one that they have out there. I didn't get the blue fanged. The, okay. Yeah, I yeah. actually was fishing for that one. We had some around the in with the milkfish. Huh. So that's good to know. I can just nail that one when I get back next time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's a fish in Wisconsin. It's called the Red Horse Sucker. Um, huh. And uh, he's a magnificent fish. Dawes, when you float one of my rivers... You are, you know, we'll be fishing pike and muskie and walleye and smallmouth and largemouth. And you're going to see these things and be like, stop the boat. I've got to try to nymph one of these up. Yeah. They're, you know, eight to 15 pounds. There's four different species of these. They're beautiful. The water's clear. And two days ago, you know, I flew in here last night. Two days ago, I saw the carp sucker, which is a species of sucker. The carp sucker? It's called a carp sucker. It's wow. a native fish to the North America. I didn't even know they had them in northern Wisconsin, but I saw four of them. They were all in that eight to twelve pound range. They have a, a dorsal fin. It's very pointy, but it's like almost like a grayling. Huh. And, you know, so I'm gonna do go on a sucker quest the next few years. This past year, um, this year I already have my snore sucker from down in Arizona. Took me two years to get them. I know they're not hard to get if you're from Arizona, but when you gotta <laughs> travel in and out of town, it's not easy. I finally got them, and I caught the desert sucker. Oh, wow. The desert. What does the desert sucker look like? I'll show like? you when we're done. It's okay. a cool looking fish. Yeah. Yeah. You'll want one. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and so when you're going out, um, you know, let's say you're, let's just say the Seychelles, for instance. Um, and are you, is it a bycatch thing or are you actually kind of, you know, mentally taking some notes beforehand? Like, I know this is there. I should... And I know when the opportunity should arise, I should try to try to find it. Or are these are these species happening along the way, so to speak? There's there's both. Okay. Yeah. So like the triggerfish thing um, on this last trip, I was not going for a black triggerfish. I was going for it's either the red fang or the blue fang. I can't remember. And I got the black one as bycatch. Mm-hmm. But then there's stuff like the saddleback grouper. I targeted that. Mm-hmm. You know. But that wasn't in this trip. I got mine in Madagascar years ago. But uh, the milkfish obviously was targeting it. And our guides knew that that's what I wanted. So that's why they had the tides all figured out for me. So usually I'm, I'm chasing them. But bycatch is good too, man. There's nothing like a gift from the guys. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime, I will take it. Um, you got to get pictures of this stuff though. I'm at the point now where I've caught almost all the normal fish that are out there. Um, so there's the weird ones. I have to have my camera immediately get a picture and and identify later. Yeah. And, and is there any that you have caught that you're like, that you, you made that mistake and didn't, you know, and you have to like scratch. Cause I mean, I remember for instance, in Bhutan, we didn't know what that fish was. No. And then we went back I mean, it took a couple of weeks, right? I think you contacted someone in India. And yep. Misty helped us with that one. Yeah. He got one of his biologists over there in India on it. And it's still a little confusing because that's a, that family of fishes, I think the, the labias, there's like there's like 50, 50 different... They're like our suckers. You yeah. Know, we got tons of suckers in North America. That's their version over there. That's funny. I, I think I, I look at that picture. You caught the first one that day. And then it was like five days later, I caught one in the same spot. And it looks like it's our same fish. <laughs> it might be. It might be yeah. the same fish. I should have looked for a hook mark. It's such a cool... F- I mean, that was oh. a cool... F- I mean, I, I I just... I'll never forget that moment because I obviously thought it was a golden, but then I was like, it's not fighting like that. 
uh, didn't have the the same exact power, I guess. Just, but but anyhow, I, I kind of got a glimpse into your world because then I was like, I was like, Dawes, get over here with that thing. What is it? <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. That um, that's actually a good good transition because I when I was doing <coughs> a little bit of of research, um, you know, for this show, I went obviously went through our trip to Bhutan and. I've definitely never taken the the gratitude that I that I needed to to thank you for tackling my first golden masseur um, <laughs> because it's actually pretty well documented in the photos. Like it is, it's pretty cool. Like you know, I was I literally was just kind of going through it, and it was like hooked, fighting, like see in my face, like this has got to happen. And then all of a sudden there's photos of you like in the water up to your waist, people looking at you like, what the hell is he doing? And then you've got this, you know, golden seer and a bear hug. And then the coolest part for me was like, there's some photos of, of you and I, and I look like I am just absolutely like years of, of draining out yeah. of me took place. I think I even shed a tear at that moment. And so thank you for that. Cause, uh, to be honest without you diving in the water, cause no one else knew what was going on or maybe the magnitude of what that meant to me, but it, it kind of brought up in going through that, that you actually had a very similar experience with that fish, right? I mean, didn't you have a, a couple of trips that didn't pan out when you were doing it on your own? Yeah. Well, we're talking about the golden moss here, and which is a Himalayan fish, foothills of the Himalayan, not up in the cold stuff. And uh, yeah, in 2002, Granny and I spent three months in India and Nepal. Uh, we were trekking also, but you know, I was there to catch a moss on fly. There's many different kinds of moss I would have been happy with the golden. I would have been happy with the silver. Um, I did get a deacon moss on that trip, but Three months, uh, it was really a huge failure. But it was a do-it-yourself trip, which is not easy to do in India or in the Himalayas. And uh, so I was kind of bummed. You know, I, yeah. really, I, I did resort to bait on our last week um, in a three-month trip and because we couldn't find anybody that had any, you know, faith in the fly. And at that point, I had given up. And we got I got to hold a gold and a bunch of silvers, which are down in the southern part of India on the famous Raggy ball, did it old English style. It was actually very cool. Were you in those circular boats? Yeah. Yeah. Fish, wow, fishing that's out of the cool. coracles. But what, uh, what are they called? Coracle. Coracle. Yeah. Okay. Coracle. C-O-R-R-A-C-L-E. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, then Misty Dillon looked me up because I wrote about that trip. Misty Dillon, for those of you who don't know, is uh, an Indian guy, fly fisherman, um, and a very good one. And he actually brought the Basir to the map in India. He made it so that that fish is protected throughout India. He invited me back over. Long story short, I got my golden Basir with, with Misty. And uh, same thing, you know, when I when that thing. And my first big golden Basir came out of chocolate mud. We arrived. We got to India. Um, and the river we are going to fish was blown out. There was some sort of cyclone crap. You know, that shit follows me around. Um, so we went to a different part of India. Everything was beautiful when we got to camp that night. It was like eight o'clock at night. River's crystal clear. About two in the morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Wake up. The river's two feet higher in chocolate mud. And But Misty looked me in the eye. He goes, you got to understand. This shit happens here all the time. 
these fish are okay with this. Mm -hmm. You just got to throw your fly where they live and, you know, read the water. And I literally, man, I remember like fifth hour that day, I was just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know? And I threw it up against this rock ledge and he was on. Massive fight, no visual contact with that fish for 10 minutes. I did not see him. Wow. And, you know, and I'm worried because of the structure underwater. I can't see that either. And then I just never forget, out of the chocolate mud comes this, like, gold nugget. Yeah. You know, and it was the same same size as the one you caught, you know, whatever that was, you know, 13, 14 pound type fish. And it was just like, oh my God. I I remember when I got my hands on it, I kept putting it in the mud and lifting it back up because I couldn't believe, I just couldn't believe this thing was happening. But you got to, we got to go back to our trip um, because you had been over a few times and you, I thank you for getting me on that. That was your third expedition over there. Um, Yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, I got blanked in India. Yep. I got blanked in, uh, boot. Yeah. I got blanked in Bhutan at least twice. Yeah. But I thought it was very funny. So I got to go on the trip. You, you got me on that trip because I have experience with, uh, Masir. I've been to India four times now, but, uh, <laughs> I remember we were driving on that huge cliff with John and, uh, I looked off the cliff and I saw that tributary coming in down there. Yeah. And I said to John, I said, that's where we need to be. And he goes, Oh no, we can't go down there. I'm like, Dude, you brought you asked me to come on this trip to help catch gold musk here. And I'm telling you that they're they're right there. We're looking down on them right now. Yeah. And somehow he got his little troops to find our way down there. And I just remember walking up to that clear water. I said to you, Daz, it's gonna happen in like the first cast. You yeah. can get in there. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was great for me too. Yeah, oh, I mean, awesome. it was the whole the whole that whole trip was a Oh my God. I mean, I you know. It was it was so cool to have your experience alongside and your help. Um, I don't, but but the the whole thing. I mean, you, I don't. You definitely have to remember this. I mean, remember we had the safety talk. Oh my god! We had we had a you know for for everyone listening, we 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 actually Courier and I brought a raft from the U.S. <laughs> and we did have some amazing trout fishing. I mean, not we did. large fish, but. That was wildly cool to me. We just yeah. put the boat in. Let's put it in here. And then we had some great brown trout fishing. But then we got down to the Manas River in Manas National Park. And maybe maybe we do or don't want to discuss the, the India smuggling part. Oh, my God. <laughs> but but we had that safety talk. And, you know, you, you gave some words. I gave some words. And then there was the whole thing of like... Okay, are there any rapids in the next couple of miles? And this is what we all need to do. And then we're like, all right, where's your boat? And we're like, that's your boat. <laughs> it was like <laughs> deflated with holes in it. And, but remember when you and I turned the first corner and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. That was, um, and then right, we told him to to just pack, like, we're done. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> and, and people need to know, because you're not going to say it, but Dawes is an expert in whitewater. And we, we got on the river, we got in the middle, I was sitting up front and we're going through, through some nice flat water and we could hear the rapid. It was getting closer and Daz is like, how's it look, Kurt? And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, shit, Daz, it's you, man. It's going to be just fine. <laughs> and we went through that thing and I, I wasn't looking at you because I was holding on for dear life. Yeah. And uh, when we got through it, 
you just rode over the side and you said, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> it was the beginning of a five-day trip or 10-day trip. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that raft was going to get sucked in like straight down in that boil and we were going to die. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah, no, I was glad. It was wise because I was a little bit ignorant to, to it at that point. But yeah, we went to shore. We deflated that raft. The other guys came through and they're, they're deflating sinking rafts. And they said, what's wrong? We said, we're not doing this in our raft. It's too small. And we deflated it, folded up and... You manned one of their rafts. Yeah. I had helped man one of the other ones with John, and uh, somehow we made it through a 10-day trip. Yeah, that was uh, what an amazing adventure that was. And it it did, um, you're probably sick of talking about this, but I do have some questions about it because in going through this, those pictures, then it led me to obviously, you know, mind wanders. And I was like, man, I do remember we split up for a day Yes. And I was fishing by myself and saw tiger prints. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, man, I am, I, I don't know. I got a weird feeling. Right. So then when that, when it made me think of that last night, I was like, I need to go back and read Courier's tiger story. And you in, in that story. So for everyone, you know, listening Jeff had an encounter with a Bengal tiger, right? And it was a very close call. Um, and this was in, in India, in Corbett's, is that? Yep. Yeah. Just and, outside. Which is, which is where they wrote the, that amazing book. Oh, uh, what is it, Maneater? Maneaters of the Kumeon. Yeah, that was, you, you turned me on it. That is one of the most amazing, it's hard to find that book. Yeah, it's very hard to find, but it's probably the best reading you'll ever read if you're into the outdoors. Yeah, that, that book. So it was interesting to me because you, when I reread that last night, you know, the story you wrote about it, you, you talked about pausing several times. So like something about your primal instincts had to have been kicking in. One of my questions was why wasn't it kicking in for uh, a loom? Was that his name? The, your, the guy that was with you? Yeah. Alum. Alum. Okay. Yep. Why wasn't it kicking in for him? Um, because he he was a local, and uh, I I would have to say that he just honestly did not believe there were tigers there. Because the first thing you do when you're camping in anywhere, whether it's the Amazon, India, Africa, you talk to your guides and the guys that you know run the show. It's like, hey, uh, if you're in Africa, you're like, when was the last time you saw a lion near camp? And yeah. You know, so I had already gone through the tiger thing and the leopard thing, and it came out like, uh, there's some leopards around. We won't see them. They're too shy, and there hasn't been a tiger here in 20 years. But I don't believe that shit for nothing, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm normal. It'd be like, you know, taking a friend here and say, oh, there's no grizzlies here. But, uh, you know, so uh, I don't know why he didn't get the sense, maybe because so deep in his heart being born and raised there and he was young he was under 20 years old okay well so, that, that could play a big so he part really you know tigers really were not part of his you know life ever and mm -hmm. during his time maybe his grandfather's but for me on the other hand you know that was my fourth trip to india and uh you know i don't know i just kind of i i saved my own life i'm damn lucky and uh the experience i wouldn't trade it for anything but also i would never do we never want it to happen again <laughs> yeah and you you were in front of him when you say you saved your own life is that because your instincts made you pause that many times yes 
Yeah. Because in your in your story, you stopped at least three times with like hackles fully up, right? Yeah. The first time I thought I was I was going to get, I thought I was going to get whacked by a python because we had seen a python the day before that was dead. It had been squished by elephants. Huh. Elephants hate anything moving on the ground. And these elephants must have panicked the whole, there was like seven or eight elephants in the air. We were camped and they were scary too. And, uh, they must have panicked and squashed this snake. I've got a picture of it. I should show you. It's 14 feet long. And when it's squashed, it's almost as wide as your table here. Wow. So it was kind of horrifying. Yeah. You know, to, to, you're sleeping on the ground and stuff. And then here I am, I've, I've busted away from camp on my own. Alam's coming with his little, you know, sidekick, but I know they're at least 10 <laughs> minutes behind me. Because I was in a hurry to get to a spot. We were running low on time on this particular day. So I was in a hurry to go. And I was I took off through the jungle and I shouldn't have by myself. Yeah, the first time I thought it was a snake. Second time I thought it was an elephant. The third time, um, I didn't know what it was. I, I thought it was a tiger or a leopard. And uh, as I was standing still looking up, my I turned my head and I saw the eyes of the tiger hiding behind a bush 40 feet away on a ledge. So if I did not stop myself that time, you would have walked. I was going that way. He was, I would say, hands down, no question about it, was ready to jump on me. Yeah, he'd probably been stalking me for a while, and I didn't know it. Yeah, I mean, he probably had seen you twenty, thirty minutes before. That. Yeah, I would think so. And and in your story, I mean, the the eye. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, the eyes. It stood out. It the only, that's the first thing I saw. You think you're going to see this giant cat, tiger stripes, you know, because they're pretty orange in color. No, it was the eye glowing through the bush, the size of it. It was, God, it was the biggest eye. It was bigger than like a... Like a grapefruit. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was like a baseball, and it was just like right on me, so fixed. And you could see the, the narrow band pupil, so I knew immediately it was a cat. And then I saw the tail about eight feet away, flopping like a cat just for attacks a mouse or a bird. Hmm. <laughs> And I, that's when I thought I was dead. And I couldn't scream. You know, it's the only time in my life I've been that scared. I mean, we all get scared, but I can't describe how scared I was because I had never been that scared and I never will be probably ever again. But my vocal cords were paralyzed. So my legs, I think everything was getting paralyzed very gradually because my sixth sense, I knew that something was wrong. And then when I finally saw the danger, like I couldn't, because I knew all I'm like literally was maybe in screaming distance back. And I couldn't scream. There was nothing there. So I just stir, stared at the cat for two minutes. We stared at each other. That long? It was probably 40 seconds. Well, either, I mean, anything, over, like, anything over five seconds. It seemed like an, an hour. Turn. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what time it was, but I yeah. eventually I heard the, I heard rocks. Yeah, I heard somebody coming. The two guys were gabbing away in Hindu. And as they got closer, I could see the pupil of the cat looking over my left shoulder. He just kept, I was getting uneasy because he knew more people were coming. And mm -hmm. finally... They got close enough and the cat stood up and then it came. All of a sudden I just, it was like spewing, you know, screams, but I was, it was tiger, 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 yeah. tiger, screaming like a little girl. And those guys came running just in time to see the tiger also. They, they got to see it. Yeah. All of them did. Wow. And, and do you think that, I mean, this might be a little out there, but you know, you, you like, like I said in your intro, you, you, you're at such ease in so many situations and whether that's your upbringing or your, you know, that combined with what you get out of travel, which is a lot of disruptions or do, do you get the sense that if you didn't have that demeanor and let's say, you know, didn't respect where you were enough 
that things would have ended up differently? Yeah, two people got whacked by that tiger in the next six months. Really? Yes. They had to finally take it take it down. Um, yeah, and assuming it would be the same tiger. It was in the same area, and there really hadn't been many tigers. You said it was at Corbett's. We were actually out of Corbett's about 40 miles mm-hmm. out, and those tigers don't really venture out of the park too much because they, they would get killed. But yeah, two more people got whacked. Two people actually got killed and eaten by a tiger in that area in the next six months. And you got to assume it was that one. It turns out it was a tigress with two two cubs. And um, she had lost a lot of her hunting skills because supposedly like her paws were full of porcupine quills and really badly infected. So oh, wow. looking for easy prey. Not me, but those yeah. other two people, they must have been really easy. Yeah, <laughs> that is uh, that is heavy. It was close. Yeah, close. Every day for me is like, uh, you know, when I'm down or feeling like I'm not getting shit done, I'm like, oh, you got a lot done since the tiger thing. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you exactly. should have been dead. <laughs> wow. That is, um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a great lesson, right? I mean, for pay attention to that intuition or that kind of primal part that can come out in those, those scenarios. But I mean, what a, what a crazy, yeah. um, well, on to, uh, on to a, another thing about the ease, um, you know, so good, good transition that you seem to carry in all of your, you know, travels and, or in situations just like right now, um, you know, when we got to do the, the carp land, I was chuckling about this, uh, last night and we didn't have much time if I remember correctly and, and, you know, they, they wanted us to get, obviously catch some big carp, but they also wanted to get, you know, show us polling after carp and, and all of that. And we, (laughs) we weren't even halfway there yet. And then there were sparks flying out of the, uh, you remember that? Oh yeah. Your boat trailer. Yeah. (laughs) We were screwed before we even got there. And somehow, um, you know, what was making me chuckle about it was, I almost forgot about that until I was doing some research for this. And then I was like, man, that whole thing ended up, it just worked out. I mean, that evening, and, and for everyone listening, we're, we're on our way to shoot a film. We don't have much time. We're doing something that's not that easy. And um, there's sparks flying out of the back of the truck. And Courier's like, hey, man, I think there's something wrong with your trailer. <laughs> I saw it coming out the side mirror. <laughs> You're like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, we need to pull over. Didn't we borrow somebody else's trailer? Is that what happened? We we got the trailer to that that guy somewhere there. We, in we ended Alpine. up at a, at a U-Haul. Yeah, that's um, right. And we got a flatbed and that's somehow right. got a jet boat on. I mean, I don't even remember those, those details. But then the next thing you know, um, I'll never forget it, that night, we were, you know, there was, there was carp daisy chaining in the middle of the reservoir. Yeah. And you stuck a good one, like as the sun went down and they got the whole thing on film. And I was like, wow, that is, you know, I, I could take some good lessons from this. Well, what was funny, I, I'll never forget that carp either because we had just had a good shoot. We, we, it was tough, but we got maybe two nice fish up in that, that arm during daylight. Okay. Yeah. And, I forgot uh, about that. and we were satisfied with the shoot. So we, we went out to the middle of the lake and it, we were like, it's a beautiful evening. We don't have to go back anytime soon. Let's cut the motor and drink a couple beers. So we were literally just sitting there chilling. 
Yeah. And drinking beers. It was a beautiful sunset. It was very purple. I just remember that. And Blackfoot Reservoir was glass, which is not common. And I remember, I'm like, I think those are some carp daisy chain in about 80 feet in front of the boat. And we were kind of like, we already got our footage. Should we do it? Should we not? We procrastinated. And then I'm like, shit, I, I'm going to go for this. <laughs> and I remember I was, I had, I had a heavy fly on, but now these fish are in the top. So I was like changing flies and I had my back to the fish and you just go, um, Curry, you might want to hurry up. And I'm like, oh no, no, no big deal. And I was just like in the beginning of my life when I was starting to lose my eyesight and I'm sitting there trying to thread this brown woolly bugger with no, and, uh, I finally get it on. I'm like, okay, okay, how far away? And you said, don't cast, just flip it over your left shoulder. And I, <laughs> and I just turned and they were right there. And I just dropped like my rod tip with like eight feet a liter and it landed in front of that one. He just rushed it and crushed it yeah that was and uh that was awesome yeah we have other uh, that's another thing i saw this is a great photo of you know beautiful light yeah with, with that whole thing going down that's a good photo i know which one you mean um someone asked me um a couple weeks ago great great family um that i got to hang out with in belize down in punta gorda and um just met them randomly and they were there as well and they, you know, after some time together, they're like, have you been here? And it's like, yeah, I have. And, you know, and then, um, the father was like, all right, enough of this. Where do you want to go next? And what do you want to catch? And I was like, oh, well I, and then I got stumped. I was like, huh. And so (laughs) it's funny at that moment, I thought of you, I was like, I wonder what, what the hell Courier would say in this situation. Cause I, it was, it was a very, you know, I got to reflect on it. Cause I was like, wow, how, how fucking lucky have I been? Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to ask you that question. Um, I've got a, I've got a few, I mean, no doubt it's, it's a, it's a tough one. I got asked this two nights ago. I did a, uh, a thing for the FFI, a zoom for some of their real high donors and, um, it was about travel. I did a presentation and they asked questions and somebody asked me, so where do you want to go next? And I know exactly, but I'm looking at my audience at that particular time and I'm like, what I'm going to say to them is not even going to make any sense. So <laughs> it may actually be the same, same right now um, to people who are listening. But just before the COVID, uh, I got invited to, you know, it wasn't a hundred percent deal, but it was a 99% deal. I was going to go to the Central African Republic. Um, there's a new program being put together there. It's in the frigging boonies. It's probably the hardest place to get to involved helicopters and serious jungle and three weeks of adventure, maybe longer, who knows to fish for Nile perch and Goliath tiger fish. And, uh, is that with Greg's brother, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, cousin, cousin, cousin. And, uh, anyway, uh, things were looking good. I was invited because of my experience, because I write about places so I could, you know, Definitely help their business with my blog. And then also I have a lot of experience with Nile Perch. I'm lucky. I spent a lot of time in Egypt, other parts of Africa, have done the Cameroon thing. So, you know, an exploratory trip, I could also maybe be handy. And I've got a lot of tiger fish experience. I've never caught Goliaths. But anyway, uh, the trip fell apart because of the COVID and all that crap. And uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it's going to happen for me now because at that time they had an avenue to maybe do a free trip. Now they don't seem to have that kind of funding. So I don't know if I'll be able to ever get to go. It's, they're selling that trip for $28,000. Wow. That's a, that's a hefty one. And wasn't, um, uh, Nick balls and, and we've mentioned Nick a couple of times. So just to, for clarification, Nick, 
owns um, Ocean Active out of Dubai for anyone looking, passing through there. But wasn't Nick there yes. and had like a major incident? Yep. So I was with Nick in December of last year. So, you know, nine months ago in Dubai. I always stop, stay with the family. I love his whole family. So uh, maybe we don't even fish sometimes, just hang out for a few days. But anyway, he, he tells me, he's like, I'm go- I'm doing the, we call it CAR, C-A-R, yep. Central African Republic. He goes, I'm going on that trip. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How did you get? He's like, We're, I'm paying. He goes, one of my clients is paying for me. And he has a, a really cool old client. His name is Rich. He was, I think he dug diamonds out of Africa. So he can afford this trip. And he took Nick on the trip. Um, Nick fell literally on like the second or third day and hit his head really badly, severe blood, you know, and stuff. They actually sewed it up on the river. Nick thought he was okay. You know, he, he's on this trip. I mean, you and I, anybody would do the same. Like, no, I'm not going home. I'm fine. Just get out the needle. I'll suck it up. And he did, but he woke up that night and he had uh, fluids coming out of his ears. Oh my gosh. And, uh, he, I guess he really hit his head hard. He was trying to hide it from everybody cause he did not want to have to end this trip. And, uh, they had to evacuate him wow. there. They got him to um, Nairobi, and uh, he had to spend a few days there to make sure he was stable, make sure his brain wasn't swelling. But anyway, he uh, he's doing all right. Yeah, I talked to him while he was during the injury there in Nairobi. Wow. He said, "I'm going to be fine." I guess he is. Wow. Well, I'm. Yeah, I think I. Um, I don't know if I got. I, sh- I I think I got in touch with him, but yeah, that that was a harrowing. Um, yeah. But anyway, sorry, that was a sidetrack, but. So what did you, would the CAR be one of them? That is, yeah, that, that is one. That's, okay. That is my one. That's, you know, I thought it would be the Congo. I want to catch a Goliath target fish. That's the, I do want to catch. And I don't want to just catch a Goliath. I want to get a big one. Yeah. You know, I've got some big Tanzania tigers, you know, 22 pounds, but I'd like to get like a 40 or 50. You want to go to battle. I just want to see it go down. Um, but I think the, the Congo is just not going to happen. Um, so it's going to be CAR someday, hopefully find a way. Hopefully those guys can get that thing running and then, uh, you know, get an opportunity to go in there and do something. Yeah. And any other? Yeah. I've never fished the Pinoy in Russia. Um, I'm not a big cold weather guy, but I've gotten a little hooked on Atlantic salmon. I've had some projects in Iceland the last few years and got a lot of great Iceland buddies um, that have taught me about Atlantic salmon fishing. And uh, I've got a little bug for it. Got to go to Norway a couple of years ago with my friend Blotty. And uh, yeah, would just that's just a famous place. It seems like it'd be fun to, to go there and, and yeah. do it. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that um, that opens up, right? Yeah, some some point. <laughs> yeah, ex- I know. I I I I would be, I would be there right now in uh, um, Kamchatka. Second year in a row, third year in a row, I've had to cancel it because the COVID canceled us two years, and then this year we were all set to go, and then this, a war. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I just go when there's wars. Yeah. It doesn't ever really bother me, but they won't let us. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been to Greenland? That's one thing that no, and I I bagged out on that trip after I uh, uh, Italy. I was I had a chance to go very reasonably, and I didn't go. Have you been? No, that's one that I've. Um, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's just do it next summer. Yeah, I, I um, it's one that's kind of, you know what I mean. I just have to do it. Yeah. Well, I and it's weird, and and maybe I'm, maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's getting older, but. As much as I want to see, you know, untouched fishery like that, I definitely want to see Greenland. Like yeah. I want to see the, you know, the fjords and the towns and the landscape that, you know, only t- shapes up for what, like a month or two a year. 
Um, I'm a nerd about flying, even yesterday, just flying last night. I'm, I'm the guy that has window open. And so help me God, if you're the guy that wants to watch a friggin' movie and tell me to shut my window because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I paid $700 for this ticket and uh, this is an incredible thing we're doing right now. I'm on top of the clouds. I'm looking down. It's fabulous. I'm going to enjoy it. But every time I cross Greenland, I literally set my alarm on my phone when I leave, like when I left Italy last month, you know, for three hours into flight to wake up because I know I'm going over Greenland. And I mm-hmm. looked at, I just, it was cloudy this year. I was so bummed. I oh, didn't wow. get to see it. But when it's clear, I just, I, I'm drooling against the window. I've got to get down there and touch it, you know? Yeah. Let alone catch a char or two. So. You know, it's funny. That's, that's how, um, that's how I got to the Scorpion Atoll. Yes. You see that looking every time. Out the, <laughs> looking out the window. Oh, I'm yeah. like, what is that thing? Yep. And then sure enough, we got there. Um, going a little bit backwards here, did, did you have any any mentors? I mean, I know your your grandfather and your father, right? Yep. Avid anglers. Absolutely, both grandfathers fished. Uh, only one of them was a fly fisherman, but my dad was a great fly fisherman. Um, unfortunately, you know, I'm the oldest kid, so by the time I was like seven, I had a little brother and little sister. Like he didn't get to fish anymore, so I really didn't get to experience a lot of uh, his best days fishing. But um, when the kids grew up. And I moved out here. He did come out once a year and fish with me. It wasn't the same, you know, quality dad fly fisher that it was when I was a kid, but we had a great time together. I took him to New Zealand. So obviously he'd be my ultimate mentor, but, um, you know, being out here, uh, and being in the industry so long, working on the platform at the, you know, the Jack Dennis fly shop. I mean, right there in the square of Jackson, I've met everybody and Jack was a very well-known fly fisherman in the industry. So his friends who were well-known came along as well. So, you know, Jack would be one of my mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would say even bigger would be uh, my good friend, Mike Lawson from over in the Henry's Fork. Just the way he, you know, number one, he's a great fisherman. He's Mm -hmm. like us. He's never, you know, it's a different era. So he wasn't like, let's go to India next week, you know. Yeah. (laughs) It was more like, let's go, you know, into Yellowstone to a backcountry stream or let's go to the harder part of the Henry's Fork. But a great angler and uh, somebody I've always looked up to and very fortunate to have spent a lot of time with um, because we did shows together. So, you know, and he's, he's 15, 20 years older than me. So I've learned a lot from Mike. Gary LaFontaine was one. I was actually at the dinner table when Gary LaFontaine announced that he had Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. I mean, that was really a tough one for me, but watching the way he handled that, handled himself. And I mean, just, yeah, there's, there's quite a few guys out there that are, that are mentors to me. And I, um, when we, when we knew we were going to do this, I was listening to a podcast, you, a different podcast you did a while back. And you mentioned something about your grandfather actually had like an Orvis endorsed shop way back. Yeah, in the 40s and 50s, he had an outdoor shop. I guess it was like one of the best ones in New England. And uh, Orvis was one of his lines. So I have quite a few Orvis bamboo rods from way back in that time. And uh, all kinds of little knickknacks and stuff. Most of them have kind of disappeared over the years. Like a lot of the tackle for me when I was a kid, because my grandfather went out of business before I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, It all ended up in our basement back, you know, in the East Coast. Yeah. Called it a cellar. Yeah. So it was down the cellar. And I just remember I would open up and see these beautiful lures and flies. And I was just like, chick, 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 chick. I just remember my dad. And one day he was like, what the hell happened to all the, f- 
get lures. <laughs> you know, I was like an 11 year old in the corner going, uh oh. Yeah. So a lot of it's the rods got broken stuff. But uh, yeah, he was, uh, and he had a Cessna. Oh, no, it wasn't a Cessna. It was, um, it wasn't a beaver. What's the next step down from a beaver? Chipmunk? It sounds kind of wimpy. Chipmunk. Yeah, I think it was. He, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it that's was a smaller name. plane than a, than a beaver, and he had one. And uh, uh, no, a Piper Cub. Piper Cub. Piper yeah, Cub. Okay. And uh, chipmunk. <laughs> when I where that came. Oh no, I was on Chipmunk Point two days ago trying to there find a go. place to put my boat in. Um, anyway, he so he used to fly up to uh, Labrador and New Brunswick and salmon fish and big brook trout. In fact, uh, I guided Lee Wolf very close to where we are sitting right now. Uh, Emily Oliver, she's long passed away, but there's some spring creeks here. And I was out there one day with Joan. Uh, I won't say guiding Lee Wolf, um, although I was the guide of that property. So when they came out, I got to hang out with them. But it was me, Kurt Gowdy, Joan Wolf, and Lee Wolf. Wow. Spent a day on Spring Creek and uh, Cody Creek. That is... And uh, Crane Creek. That is amazing. It was amazing. But it was funny. I got to know Lee pretty good because he was a friend of Jack's who came out, you know, occasionally to Jackson. And I asked him, I said, you know, this is going to sound ridiculous, but, you know, my grandfather's name was Andy Elwell. And he used to spend a lot of time up there in it with his Piper Club. And did you ever meet him? He goes, oh, yeah, I definitely met that guy. Really? Yeah. So I was like, that's cool. That That is so. amazing. And and I, the reason why that struck me and I, and, um, you know, obviously it's a part of the, the mentor part, but. My, my grandfather had the same thing and you and I have never That's weird. talked about it. It's very weird. And I'm presuming it's similar in the sense that there wasn't a lot of gear back then. Right. So in oh. terms of like what you had, you know, calling it a fly shop, but, and, and, and then once I listened to you talk about that, I tried to research my grandfather's and I'm, and I'm going to, but I couldn't find it. But my dad used to say, listen, you know, it was more art then it was there, there just wasn't a lot of tackle but I, I don't know you and i have never spoke about that and i was like no shit i mean and i i need to figure out the the history of it on, on my side but it's hard to find that stuff i know? yeah the the google machine had nothing so no, it's fading away um and so and and you're out here for the one fly imagine that i didn't think i'd be back here for a couple of years and you know Jim Klug of Yellow Dog gave me a ring, like literally two days before I was leaving to Italy. He's like, dude, I need you to come take my place in the one fly and fish for Team Yellow Dog. I'm like, no, not doing it. Just about to go to Italy. I'm already bummed. I'm leaving the smallmouth fishing here. I'm not doing it. And he goes, sleep on it, man. And it took me about 10 minutes to be like, you know, I'm going to have such a good time seeing you and you know my friends. And I love, you know, I don't fish the one fly often. This will be my sixth time, I think, fishing it. It's fun. It's going to be a good time. Still, yeah, it seems like a great, I mean, I'm not in it this year, obviously, but I think it's a, um, when you're in it, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And when you're not, you, you almost want to avoid it a little bit, but it, you know, like you and I touched on briefly this morning, I mean, what, a, what, a, what a pretty cool homecoming and maybe it is a little too quick for you, but I mean, man, you're, you're going to, you're going to bump into people everywhere. Oh, you hell. turn. I mean, no, it's, it's great. You and I, you, me and Darren Calhoun are going fishing in an hour. I know. You know? This and, is great. <laughs> and that's why we got to, we're actually going to probably have to wrap it up. <laughs> the only thing that could pull us, pull me away from this table is getting out in the water with you guys. Um, but I do have a couple of questions for you before we do wrap it up. One, what, what the hell is going on with the Cubs? 
<laughs> so one of the questions I had to answer recently was if it was the Red Sox or the Cubs, who do you root for? Because I grew up a Red Sox fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know, they both won the World Series now. I, I still, you know, I'm passionate about both teams, but I'm probably going to root for the underdogs. So it'll be the Cubs because the Cubs are always the underdog. And even though they won the World Series in 2016, they've already mutilated their team and they're yeah. back They're back <laughs> to like they were in the 70s. But I am, it's funny, I am enjoying the heck out of watching the Cubs. I've, I, I, for those of you who are listening, I, if there's 162 games, I listened to 150 of them. You know, I was in That's Italy, awesome. so I missed some. But they have a young team. It's very exciting right now. Uh, they screwed up the team pretty bad, but I think they're coming back fast. Gotcha. The quote. Yeah, there you That's go. That's a quote for career. I'd say 2025, 26, we're going to be a team to reckon with. Um, another question would be if your if your schedule is wiped clean today, so nothing on the horizon mm-hmm. at all, and you could go to one, any any spot in the world to fish, whether you've been there or not, what would it be? Um, well, I mean, I told you I want to go to this to Central African Republic. That's really high in my list, and uh, if that opportunity came, I would. Even if I have stuff on my schedule, that is one thing I would call up whoever I'm scheduled with and say, this is where I'm at in my life. I have to do this trip. I'm sorry that this is probably going to screw you over massively, but I've got to do this trip. So, so, so if, if money, no, 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 no ties to it, that would be the spot. That would be the spot. Nice. Um, and that leads to the next one. Where, where are you off to next? Cause I don't even think you and I have touched on that. <clears throat> Yeah, so I don't have a lot. I mean, I do have a couple of Seychelles trips in the books, but they're a couple of years away. Um, I'm going to be in Mexico the whole month of November. Are uh, you? So am I. Or not the whole month, but I'll be there for I a leave. Week. I leave on the 3rd, and uh, I'm coming back like December 2nd, but I'll be in Baja. Okay. So I'm going to be um, fishing with Grant Hartman and my friend Sammy. Sammy hires Grant. Grant's a real good friend of mine. I introduced those two. So we'll just have a good time. You know, we'll do some fishing. We're actually, we got a boat in Magdalena Bay. So hopefully we can stick some marlin. We'll see if they're around. If they're not, we'll just do something else. No big deal. But Sammy's got to go back to work after about 10 days. Then Granny's going to fly down. I'll pick her up and uh, I got a, you know, a beater car rented. And uh, we're just going to drive around and camp for three weeks. That's awesome. And how is she um, liking the the move, the change? I mean, because a lot of big changes. Loves it. It's That's, so funny because five, six years ago, she said, I will never move to northern Wisconsin. If When we make a move from Victor, it's going to be somewhere warm um, and the winters are shorter and uh, blah, 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 blah. Well, she started traveling with me to the shows around, the, you know, which is all over the United States um, about five years ago. And she started to see like other parts of the country that she thought she wanted to live into. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go to North Carolina. She thought maybe here, there and everywhere. And after going there, she's like, you know, I kind of something needs, needs something a little quieter. Yeah. Um, a little less people. And that's what we have in Northern Wisconsin. So she's on board with it and she loves it. She's a fixer upper girl. Like she is the house we bought is it's kind of a piece of crap. The location is 100% the best spot we could be, but she's been tearing stuff apart, painting, learning to do stuff. 
That's awesome. Before I got to Minneapolis, I flew out of Duluth yesterday. Before I got to Minneapolis, she said, you're going to love it. I just tore up the linoleum floor in the kitchen. I was like, oh, God, thank God I'm not there for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she knows when to do it because she knows I'll go nuts, man. Yeah. And well, that was uh, um, that leads into another question. You, you just talked about it, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I my kids are here going through school, so it, it's way off for me, but... W- when when I when I think about a topic like that, like where you know where you would move, um, one thing that obviously comes into my mind is like, well, what's the what's the flight path? I mean, so yeah. so how far is it from you to get a to an airport that can? I mean, is it similar to here where you got to get to Salt Lake or Denver to get anywhere, or what, what do you have to do? How far is the airport from your house now? And yep, that was a huge thing, Dawes, um, and it's very similar. So I usually did Idaho Falls because most of my travel will be paid for, especially if I'm speaking at a show because they buy your tickets. So Idaho Falls was only, what, an hour and 15 minutes from, from Idaho Falls. Now where I live is about an hour. Yesterday it took me an hour and 45 minutes to get to the Duluth Airport, but I was taking my time. It's funny. Now that I'm in a new place, I'm never rushing. That's, that's you know? really like interesting. I, I set the, you know, going to Idaho Falls, you know, I'm doing 70 in the 65 or even 80 just because I've seen both sides of the highway so many times. It's just like, get me to where I'm going. Yesterday, I'm like, I set it to, I set the cruise control to 55 and I'm looking out both. It's the way it's been all summer. Remember I was saying it's been the best summer? It's yeah. Just, it's awesome. That's so cool. Every day I love going where I'm going. That's awesome. And I'm in no rush. But so it takes you hour 45 to get there and then. I think it's an hour and a half. Yes, hour and a half. Yeah, and then you've got to connect Minneapolis. Yeah. Oh, so you can get. Yep. Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. And I, you know, I there's a shuttle company um, that will actually pick you up in Hayward. It's very expensive. It costs. The granny and I did the shuttle because I was picking up a car at my mom's house in New Hampshire that I had left when we were homeless. Um, so we took this shuttle. It was like 160 bucks. They picked us up a block from our house and drove us to the Minneapolis airport. Oh wow. So that was nice. And I'll probably use that a little bit because what you save in that $160 shuttle, there's only one way though, but uh, I save in the Duluth to Minneapolis leg of the flight anyway. Yeah. So. Huh, cool. And are you, um, you've turned, like I, we talked about the man eaters of Kumon. Have, have you reading any good books recently? You know, I, I'm not a reader. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I, you read I, that book though, right? I did because I was on the trip. Cause you, you know, almost got killed by it. Yeah. I was reading it before though. That incident really? happened. That was the fascinating thing about it. Cause it was so much like he's described in this book, but uh, yeah, I'm not a reader, but I do read, um, I read my phone before bed, you know, maybe yeah. read a couple news articles or, you know, something I, I was reading something Carter was involved in the other day. Um, the sea turtle thing. Yeah. The sea turtle yeah. thing. Yeah. Bruno <laughs> sent it to me, but, uh, no books right now. I have a stack of books that I have to read that oh. people give me. There's four or five of them are about tigers. People have given me, you got to read this. I know your tiger stuff. Yeah. I, someday I'll read Yeah, my blog. In fact, I should mention, we were talking about that Bhutan trip and you were talking about how you went over the Bhutan trip. People can read about if the, if you just Google Mike Dawes, Jeff Courier, Bhutan, you will find the 10 days or two weeks worth of story day by day accounts of our trip that I wrote on that trip. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Sometimes I go back and read that stuff and it's just, it it amazes me too. Um, but my blog consumes me like yesterday flying here. All I did was catch up on my blogs from my fishing this weekend. And you know, I'll have to write about our fishing today, which I'll probably get done today and tonight and tomorrow. Um, but that's why I don't have time to read. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense actually. And you know, you, 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 
what's amazing and you know for everyone listening is is what you described but it I know the amount of time and commitment that has to be done to that. And it's not like you don't, it's not like you fish here and there, you fish all of the time and it's all captured. Um, I, I, I think I attempted that once or twice and I was like, I, I don't have this. Well, yeah, you, you asked me one day, you said, how the hell do you do this career? I can't do it. <laughs> but what was cool was like, this is kind of my form of it. Yeah, right. And it's great. a, it's a different, um, medium, but, um, again, right. I'm, I'm hopeful it lives in perpetuity. And if someone is ever like, well, you ever hear, you know, courier talk about look, seeing the tiger's eye. Well, you know, you can listen to it if you don't read, but, but anyhow, and then the last one, because, um, we do need to go fishing is, you know, who, who is one of the most interesting persons you ever met and why? Oh, Jesus. When you think about the business we're in, how many interesting people. We, oh, it's it's a tough it, one. Oh, yeah, it is. I can think of, uh, oh, God. Um, I guess I'll put the positive because there are some interesting people out there that were interesting because how quirky they were, um, but still at the same time, very interesting. But I would say the most interesting person for me and in a, in a big part of my life and made me a better person would be meeting Vladi Chibunia. And Vladi Chabunia is, um, he's a Polish. I, I refer to him as my, my European father. That's how close we are. But he volunteered to watch over Team USA um, fly fishing team, would have been 1998, over in Poland. And that's the first year I got to fish for Team USA. 97, it was held here in the United States. And I was a volunteer. It was here, right? Yeah, and I didn't fish. I didn't even know the thing existed. But Jay Buckner said, hey, you want to help with this thing? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I ended up being like the whole summer, you know, to, to, of my time to make that go off. I can't even imagine how much time Jay put in. But I was rewarded and got to fish for the team in, in Poland the next year. And it was totally sponsored by the like Walter Ungerman and some of the bigwigs on the team. Jay was on the team also. Um, long story short, though, I met this guy, Vladi. I went, I, one of the conditions is I had to go over early to fish and practice and then have the notes for the old guys when they showed up. So this Vladi picks me up in Krakow or met me. Actually, I took a bus from Wausau all the way down to Zakopane. And I remember I was a pretty good traveler, you know, but I had never <laughs> been to like an Eastern Bloc country, which it was at that time. And I pulled out my Polish dictionary and I asked something and they're just looking at me like, <laughs> I took that dictionary and I threw it in the garbage before I got off the curb of the airport. It was so useless. Start so, using your hands. And I somehow managed to get on a bus and down all the way down. It was a full day bus ride down to Zakopane. And I was so frigging hungry by the time I got there and thirsty. I just literally I couldn't order anything. Yeah. You know? And here's this little guy, and he knew right away. I Tell knew, me it was French fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. But it, you know, he's like, he I remember he took off his hat which Americans don't do that when you meet somebody. He took off his hat, like took a bow and shook my hand. He goes, my name is Vladi Tsubunya. I am going to watch Team USA because I want to have better English. And I'm wow, like, I'm like cool. wow, that really like hit me. Like this guy's not only is he going to, the excitement of, you know, taking us under his wing to teach us his type of fishing, but he also is smart enough to realize that, you know, I want to also benefit from this too. Yeah. And we're not, you know, anyway, uh, within, he's one of those guys and we all have a few like this, a few that within 10 minutes, you know, you have a new friend for life. You care for this person. Um, it, and it was like that. 
And it was just like the bonding's incredible. And, you know, I've been to Poland five times. How many people have been to Poland five times? Yeah. Fishing, fishing. <laughs> Only because Vladdy's there, you know, and he's been over here spending months at a time with me and my wife. But, you know, he was born and raised in Poland during World War II. His stories, um, the hardships that he went through, you know, not just as a kid. Those were incredible, you know, during World War II, the stuff he's seen. But just his whole life, it just made me feel like, you know, like, I got it made in the shade and I'm not going to take it for granted. And, uh, because there's a lot of Lotties out there and they're great people and they just took it in stride. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think he had a big impact on him because you're, you're such a positive person. Yeah, definitely had a big impact. On yeah. him. I was, I've always been a positive person, but you know, just like now it's hard to, like you say that I just, things bounce off me and I don't get too worked up. Yeah. A lot of that would be that, you know, came to me in the last 20 years for Nolan Lottie. That's awesome. Yeah, because I met him in 1998, so it's been almost 30 years. That's that's uh, that's really cool. He made me a hell of a trout fisherman too. I was a good trout fisherman, but after going under his wing, you know, putting in the nymph aspect of it, mm-hmm. which I hate nymphing, but I can do it. Yeah. And uh, geez, he was world champion in 1988 in Finland, so he is one of the best that's fishermen awesome. in the world. And I, I have I have plenty of other questions for you, but. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll do this again. Next one fly. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> yeah, hopefully sooner. Yeah. I mean, but, um, listen, man, I, I have, you know, you, you've been a mentor to me and I've got, uh, I've got all the respect for you in the world and everything you've done. And, and I really, um, I really appreciate you, you spending the time and, um, let's, uh, let's go fishing, huh? Let's go grab our buddy Darren Calhoun. Let's go jack That's some right. stuff up. Hope we can get him on here. Hopefully, I know how to fish. I haven't caught a trout in quite a long time <laughs> since Italy. <laughs> I didn't want to see one after that. Yeah. I needed a break. <laughs> uh, well, I can't wait to hear more about that. But to find out more information about Jeff, head on over to jeffcurrier.com and on Instagram at jeffcurrier65. Anywhere else? That's probably That's the two main places. Yeah. Cool. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Permit to Think. My hope is this podcast offers meaningful conversations and stories from the fringe of societal norms. Be sure to subscribe and support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you use. For information, more information, please head on over to the website, permittothink.com, and please forward this show to anyone in your network who you feel might be on the level. I am out. See you, buddy. Thanks a lot. Good times. Let's go fishing. I feel like it was in the library for a